Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love those words. It's so comforting. All right, now we're going to move to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Then the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom may I ask you? Does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, starting with the scripture. He proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road, and they came to some water. And a eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Syria. Thanks. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you so much for reading. Hi, everyone. Happy Pride. My name is Jarrell Wilson. I am the Church Start resident at Urban Village Church. Uh, okay, this is going to be a little echoey, but it's okay. And today is my last Sunday. How are y'all? Y'all? Okay, maybe I should have left that until the end of the sermon. I love 
this scripture. God bless you. This is one of my favorite passages, specific the Acts one. I forgot we read two. This Acts story is so great. You have apparition, literally, in the Bible. Philip is in this water, and he pops out of the water, and then he's in a different place. There is a man trying to read and needs help. I love reading. So when I see people reading anywhere, I get excited. This scripture has it all. There's drama, there's royalty, there's Harry Potter magic taking place. There's people who are lost being found. It has it all. And there's so many different ways that you can approach this text. Coincidentally, this text happens to be the first text I preached on in seminary in 2014. So one of the things that we had to do was read through it, read through it in Greek, find out about what the different words are saying and the different ways that it could be interpreted, do all of this homework on it, and then start writing the sermon and decide what we think God is saying to people today based on this text that was written well over a thousand years ago. Um, it was also a time of great political upheaval. As you might remember, the Black Lives Matter movement really was coming into its own at the time. And you might remember that there was a series of hashtags that started. Hashtag Sandra Bland, hashtag Mike Brown, hashtag Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, the names go on, Rakia Boyd, etc., etc. I thought, when examining this text, that it was about social location at the time. And then I had to preach on it the year after. And at the time, there was a mass movement in the LGBT community. We were just about to get legalized same-sex marriage in the nation. And so I came to this text and thought, this is about queer acceptance. Eunuchs are people that aren't considered sexually acceptable in society. There's quite a few Bible verses that shame them and denigrate them and say that they aren't allowed in worship spaces. Clearly, this passage of scripture is telling us that we need to stop rejecting queer people. However, now that I'm preaching on this text in another year, this is a part of our shareable sermon series. We're talking about evangelism. And this is a very evangelistic piece. We have Philip minding his own business and he ends up in the desert. He sees somebody trying to read the scripture and trying to understand it. And he says, I'm a Jew. I know this scripture. Let me go and help this person. And then he goes up to this person, explains his faith in a non-threatening way, and the man is so inspired by the sharing of faith that he demands to be baptized and looks around and says, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He gets baptized. The Holy Spirit is like, Woo, yes, child, and swoops <laughs> Philip right on up and takes him to a new place so that he could continue sharing his faith. I find this passage to be absolutely enthralling because no matter when I come to it, something new pops out. 
Well, we read this, this passage in a particular uh, translation, the New Revised Standard Version, and I wrote a very long note about that here. One thing to note is that the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, the Common English Version of the Bible, and the New American Standard Version of the Bible all leave out verse 37. If you can see, it goes 36 and 38. 37 is nowhere to be found, you see? Work with me. <laughs> that verse says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, as in mayest be baptized. And he answered, he being the eunuch, said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is in the King James Version. It's interesting to note that the translations that omit this verse are those typically used by mainline denominations. Episcopalians, Methodists, um, Lutherans, God bless you, etc., etc. And the verses where this one verse is present, the translation, uh, the New King James Version, the King James Version of the Bible, um, one version of the New International Version, are those traditions most typically affiliated with more fundamental expressions of Christianity. And I find it fascinating. They omit the verse and don't really give you a good reason for omitting it. The reason that they give is other translations include verse 37, but some do not. Well, thank you. I could have determined that all on my own. So this leads me to believe, or leads the reader to believe, that this omission is based partially in a political or a theological motive behind it. That there's some reason why verse 37 isn't considered valid enough to go into the Bible. Now, there could be that they left it out to make a political statement, that you don't need to say, if you do this, then you can be baptized, rather that baptism is open to everyone. It could be something different, like the way that the Bible got to us was hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people literally just copied it, so that way we would have backups just in case something got destroyed. And we have discovered over time that some people that copy the Bible verses down get creative and um, get bored. There's an entire ending to the book of Mark that exists in some translations of the Bible that does not exist in the original Greek or in any other form. It literally just popped up in the medieval times and has been used to justify all sorts of different things. So it is a possibility that verse 37 didn't really exist but I wonder what, about what that means for us today. In a church that claims to be bold, inclusive, and relevant, what does the omission of verse 37 mean for us now? Verse 37 implies that one needs to have your, all of your doctrine lined up. You need to have all of your ducks in a row before you can come here and join the Christian community. By removing this verse, we're expanding who gets to become Christian. We're expanding who gets to come and enter into God's family.
And now I see the confusion, the question marks on your faces. Why is this important? What is so important about baptism? I invite you all, just vocalize the question. What is so important about baptism? You know what? I am just so glad that y'all asked that question. <laughs> Baptism is a sacrament. Sacraments are these wonderful things. They are outward signs of inward grace. They are tangible ways that we can feel. Oh my God, this water is so warm, y'all. It's like a hot tub. That we can <laughs> feel God's presence. We can feel God's love. We can taste and see that God is good at the table. We can feel cleansed of our sin and iniquity and become reborn through water and through spirit. Sacraments are reminders that God knows that our bodies matter, that God knows that we live in a particular environment. God knows what it's like to put on flesh and to live in this world. God knows what it's like to drive while black or to experience discrimination on the basis of sexuality. God knows what it is like to suffer under the weight of crushing patriarchy. And God gives us these physical, tangible signs to remind us that God sees us in the midst of suffering and is walking with us alongside of it. Amen. Baptism is really important because it's the first sacrament. Remember when Jesus was just starting out, he was getting his little new Christian community together, much like Urban Village Church started seven years ago. Jesus gathered a few friends together. But one of the first things that Jesus did was he got in water and his cousin John baptized him. Jesus used baptism as the launching point for his healing ministry. Before Jesus drove tax collectors and money launderers out of the temple, Jesus started here. Before Jesus healed the sick, before he gave sight to people who had lost it, before Jesus died and rose again, Jesus started here. And therefore, Christians start here too. But the great thing about sacraments is they don't come by themselves. This isn't the only sacrament. We have another sacrament that we take every single week. We get behind this table, we gather around, we break this bread, we dip it into this cup, and we remind ourselves of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remind ourselves that Jesus started in baptismal waters. We remind ourselves that Jesus had flesh. We remind ourselves that Jesus had blood. We remind ourselves that Jesus was concerned about the physical needs in our society. We remind ourselves daily of what we are called to do. Resist evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Amen. Right? Isn't this exciting stuff? <laughs> Baptism also serves as like uh, an orientation of sorts into the church. People come into church. Sometimes they've grown up in it their entire lives. Sometimes they're not familiar with it. But one thing that everyone can be familiar with is the idea of a bath. Baths are typically used to get clean. Right? We're trucking. But baptismal waters is more than just a bath. It reminds us of the waters that the Spirit hovered over in creation, 
It reminds us of the waters of a womb because we are being born again. It also reminds us of waters that aren't that great. Waters of the flood that wiped out the world's population. Waters of hurricanes and tornadoes. Water that has the power to give life and to take life away. We choose to say that these are life-giving waters, that God's presence abides here, and that when we go in to this water and come back out, we become a part of a family, a family that is known as the body of Christ. And baptism serves as a reminder that we are heirs of a family fortune. What family fortune, you might be asking? I'm so glad you asked. We're going to get these cues down. I'm just going to start pointing. The family fortune is known as tradition. So in the Methodist tradition, we subscribe to this beautiful thing called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, which is a way that we interpret scripture. We interpret scripture by using other scripture, by using reason, by using tradition, and using personal experience. That word tradition doesn't mean like, I always sit in this chair on Sundays, so now I'm going to sit back in this chair again, but rather describes the whole of Christian tradition. We inherit the strange debates that Christians get into, like, does the bread become the body of Jesus Christ? Does the grape juice or the wine actually turn into Jesus's blood? We get to inherit all of the drama, um, which is a blessing. It really is a blessing. We get to inherit this history that starts way, way, way back in time that I cannot really know because we don't really know the day. Because the church didn't really start at Pentecost. Our expression of the church started at Pentecost. The church started when people started worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And we inherit all of that. The different ways that Christians decide, am I going to raise my hands in worship or keep them silently by my side? We inherit. We inherit the beauty of the Christians who decided that orphans shouldn't stay on the street but should be given a place to live. Orphanages, that is a part of our Christian tradition. Hospitals and schools, all sorts of different things that we've wrestled with over time. The doctrine of atonement, the doctrine of restoration, different ways in which we fight for social justice, the push for women to preach, and the push against women preaching, the push for LGBT equality, and the push against it, all are inherited in the waters of baptism. Baptism is very important because it not only serves us as like an initiation into the church, it serves as a reminder of who we are as members of the church. And it ties us to this idea called the communion of saints. It makes us one with all of the saints that have come before us. And it makes us one with people that we might not consider saints. The same waters that baptized Dylan Ruth are the same waters that baptized MLK. The same waters that baptized Mike Pence are the same waters that baptized Bishop Karen Olivito. When we say that we believe in one baptism, what we're saying is people who consider themselves to be mortal enemies are still made one in Jesus Christ 
in these waters. Baptism is very important. And I know what y'all are thinking. This is a sermon series about evangelism. Why are we just talking about baptism? Because baptism is good news. It is great news. We are inheriting a lot of drama, but we're also inheriting a lot of good. We are getting a whole lot of siblings that we would love to go into the street and brag about. The waters of baptism have Beyonce, y'all. The twins have probably already been covered, saved and sanctified by Pastor Rudy Rasmus in Houston, Texas. Y'all, the waters of baptism remind us that we are accountable to each other and that we are responsible for each other. This is the answer to the proverbial question, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, yes you are. You became your brother and your sister and your non-gender conforming siblings keeper in these waters. And you get that reminder every single week at this table. Y'all see why sacraments are important? We don't just do this stuff because we think that everyone needs some bread and grape juice as a light snack to keep their blood pressure up. We are doing this as a reminder. We are doing this as a reminder of the very essence of who we are called to be as people known as Christians. We do this so that we remind ourselves that we are taking on the image of Jesus Christ and our job is to reflect it to the world. So when the Ethiopian eunuch, who was forbidden by church law to go into the temple, who was forbidden by the church law at the time to offer up offerings for himself, who was forbidden from participating fully in the life of his community, was given the opportunity to be baptized. It was good news. And when I think about what pride means, pride that started as a revolution, it started as a protest, when I think about what pride has become, an opportunity Sometimes the first opportunity for LGBT people to see other people who look like them, who get treated the way they get treated, people who have been forbidden from participating fully in the life of their faith communities, it is most appropriate that we get to go into these waters today People out there, lined up, yes, some without clothes on, have been told that they aren't welcome in God's family. And we, the children of God, have been given the opportunity to remember who we are in these waters, to get food for the journey, and we get to go out. And we get to share some good news. God loves you. God invites you to participate in God's family. You were told that you were worthless. That's a lie. 
You were told that there isn't space for you. That's not true. Let me point you. It's in my Bible. It's right here. God has made a space for you. And it is my job as an inheritor of God's good gifts. It is my job as a person who identifies as a Christian. It is my job as a person who takes this bread and drinks from this cup every week to remind the world that God's love is not finite. That there is no shortage of God's economy of love. Mm. You know what baptism, one of the best things it does, the greatest thing baptism does is it reorients our goals. Before, our goals are you live your life, you go about it, make some money, have some kids, etc., etc. But baptism doesn't let us just get away with living a good life. It says that we must resist evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We say this vow before we get dunked, and then we reaffirm it every week when we take this meal. It reorients the values. It's no longer about just me. It's about me finding ways to help other people. It's about me searching and saying, am I enacting evil and oppression? What ways can God search my heart and fix me so that I'm not oppressing my siblings? In what ways am I acting that I'm causing harm? How was I too rude and too mean to that Trump voter last week? How was I being a hypocrite in that way? How can God work on my spirit and on my mind so that I better reflect the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? You see, baptism is not just a welcome we love you. It's also, we love you, so we're going to challenge you to grow. You see, Peter and Paul didn't really like each other, but they loved each other, and their love for one another made them better ministers. They challenged one another. And then we have Philip. Philip's just minding his own business, walking down the street. He doesn't have on a shirt that says bold, inclusive, and relevant, or the church has left the building. He wasn't given colorful f flyers to hand out. Homie is just trying to go for a stroll to get from point A to point B. And you know what? This is one of the worst things about the way that God works. When you're minding your own business, <laughs> When you are simply trying to get in and out of Target with one to two goods and spend less than $20, God will put people in your way that need your help. Isn't God rude? I was just trying to get my groceries. Why did God put this person in the way who needs to hear the good news? Uh, I hate to take God's side on this one, but because that's our job. That's who we are. Our job is to not accidentally stumble into ways to help people, but rather to seek them out. In, in scripture, because I, I was gonna use another example, but I'm gonna take us to scripture. 
because the Bible is the best. There's this story in Deuteronomy. The people are grumbling about Moses and Aaron. They're going to try and kill them. This happens all the time, so it's not really that exciting. But as normal, the people try and kill Moses and Aaron. God tries to kill the people. So God sends this plague to punish them. And Aaron and Moses are like, oh, Lord, what do we do to save these people's lives? So Moses tells Aaron, go get you some incense. We're going to burn, and we're going to pray that if we pray, God will stop killing people. Sounds reasonable. So Aaron gets his incense together. He starts burning this offering to the Lord. And what he does is he runs past the people that are healthy, the people that can pay their mortgages on time, the people that know their HIV status, whether they're positive or negative, the people on PrEP, the people that are considered privileged in society. He runs past the people that are doing just fine, and he keeps running forward, and he gets to where the people start dying. And he gets in the middle of the death. People are screaming. He's watching the suffering. And he's burning this incense. And he's praying for them. He's in the midst of their lives. And God smells this sweet incense. God smells the offering of this life. God smells the remembrance of a sacrament that has not even been instituted yet. God is reminded of who Aaron is and of who God is in that moment. And the plague stops. God spares the people that Aaron ran past. Y'all, in this story, we don't have the luxury of turning and running away. God calls us to seek out the places where people are suffering. God calls us to stand in between the void of those who have and those who have not. God calls us to get in the way when we see that children on the South Side's educations aren't being funded. God tells us to get in the way when we see ICE deporting parents dropping their kids off at school. God calls us to get in the way when we see women's health care being taken away. And this isn't like, oh, look, he's just a, a Democrat. No. <laughs> It's resisting evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. This is my job. And it's not my job because I'm on the ordination path and I went to seminary. It's my job because I got in these waters at age nine at Mother's Beach in Long Beach, California. And when they said, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose again and that he's coming, will you be a Christian? And I said at age nine, yeah. And they said, okay, then we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in death and raised to new life with Christ in resurrection. And from that moment on, my job has been to seek out the places that are bringing death and to get in the way of death so that the God of the living can bring new life to ugly situations. And that work is shared 
It's not just my job, it's y'all's too. We don't get to throw money in the offering basket and say, Pastor Brittany will take care of that. We don't get to outsource our Christian vows. Just like you can't hire someone to be married for you, you cannot hire someone to be Christian for you. You cannot hire somebody to evangelize for you. Your job, like Philip's, is to be ready when the Spirit calls, looking for people who are confused, looking for people who are feeling unloved, looking for people who are suffering under the weight of oppression, and to be Jesus in those situations. If they need a shoulder, guess what? That's yours. If they need food and you have it, guess what your job is? To feed them. If they're naked, oh, I hate this one. It's your job to give up your extra clothes so that they might be clothed. You see, we don't do this to feel good about ourselves. We don't do this to, so that we can ascend to this higher plane of understanding. Although sometimes that does happen too. We do this because we believe that these waters bring life and that the news that has been shared with us is so good, it's so good that we can't keep it to ourselves. We do this because we know what it's like to be on that other side of death, because we know what it's like to run and to feel like you're hopeless. We do this because in the midst of our hopelessness, God showed up for us and set us free and brought us life and gave us food and clothed us and cured us and healed us in some situations. We do this because we want everyone to experience the life-changing love of God. And when I think about this, I get a sense of pride. Not like, ooh, my church is so great and so grand, but that silent sense of contentment and knowing that the work that I'm doing is bringing life-changing healing to other people. I used to think that the gospel was just about meeting spiritual needs. I used to think that we just said prayers for people and that maybe God would step in and help them. But the waters of baptism reminded me, you're the hands and feet of the body of Christ. Those prayers that you need answered to meet people's needs can be answered with your hands and with your feet. So, that being said, who enjoys this text? This is not a rhetorical question. <laughs> Isn't it inspiring 
to know that even well over a thousand years ago, closer to 2000, God was already laying the groundwork. God already had this planned out. God was expanding our definition of who is in and who is out. Isn't that good news? Amen. Can you pray with me, please?